Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Once, there lived a water carrier in India, and he used two large pots for his task. He suspended a pole across his neck and attached a pot at each end of the pole. One of the pots had a big crack in it, while the other pot was perfect. The perfect pot always delivered a full portion of water from the stream to the master's house, while the cracked pot arrived only half full each day. For two years, this water carrier made the same journey. The perfect pot became proud of its accomplishments. The cracked pot was ashamed of its imperfection and miserable that it was able to accomplish only half of what it had been made to do. Finally, one day by the stream, the cracked pot spoke to his owner about his bitter failure. I'm ashamed of myself, and I want to apologize that I've only been able to deliver half of my water to your house. There's a crack in my side which causes water to leak out. Because of my flaws, you don't get full value from your efforts. And the water carrier replied, smiling, As we return to the master's house, I want you to notice the beautiful flowers along the path. On that trip from the stream, the crack pot looked around. Did you notice there are flowers only on your side of the path, but not on the other pot's side, the water carrier commented. That's because I have always known your flaw, and I took advantage of it. I planted seeds on your side of the path, and every day while we passed these spots, You watered them. Now for two years, I have been able to pick those beautiful flowers to decorate my master's table. Without you being the way you are, I would not have this beauty to grace his house. And this, praise the Lord, is how God works with us as well. He recognizes that we are broken and that we are weak. And so today, as we continue talking about emotionally healthy communities, we're going to talk about principle number three, which is to live in brokenness and vulnerability. And in order to to talk about this, where I want to begin this morning is talking about a theology of weakness. And I am pretty sure you are either going to love this or hate this. Um, Very few middle ground people on this. And the reality is that we are terrified of looking weak. We're terrified of looking vulnerable. And we believe this lie that weakness must be rejected. And weakness will always be rejected. Therefore, if we are weak, then we're going to be rejected. Therefore, we must not ever show weakness. But I truly believe that if we're going to step into emotional health, and as we have said over and over again, we cannot be spiritually healthy if we're not emotionally healthy. If we are going to step into emotional health, we need to adopt an appropriate theology of weakness. 
And so we're going to begin by looking at Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 16. And this is uh, just after the fall, right? Adam and Eve have eaten of the forbidden fruit. They have hidden from, from God, and he has encountered them. And now he is giving them, telling them the consequences of their actions. And we're sort of stepping right into the middle of this, but just bear with me. The Lord in the garden says to the woman, he said, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to your children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return." So we see here, because of the fall, because of the, the sin of Adam and Eve, they now reap the curse of thorns and thistles. And here in uh, verse 16 and following, we see that that is represented in their relationships. There's going to be tension now between the man and the woman. Right? And we see that still in our day. Right? We see that there's going to be difficulty in the working of the land. Right? Work was supposed to be fun. Work was supposed to be fruitful and life-giving. Right? And it still is. It still can be. But now in the midst of work, whether we're working in the field or working in the office or working in the home, it is, takes effort and work. And it seems like thorns and thistles spring up out of nowhere. But in addition to these consequences of the fall, we see through the, the biblical story that sin has entered into the world in sickness and ultimately death. There are very real consequences to the fall. But here is the important takeaway for today. God does this not to drive us away from him, not to punish us, but in order to drive us towards him. A theology of weakness tells us that our brokenness, our failure, our lack is not to drive us away from God, but it is an invitation to encounter him there in that place of weakness. When God drove Adam and Eve from the garden, it was to open their eyes to the very desperate need that they had for a Savior. And the beauty of our brokenness is how it reveals our very real, our very desperate need for someone bigger than us to rescue us. Our weakness isn't just something that needs to be overcome so that we can live our best life. 
It's not just something that we overcome to prove our value and our worth. Look how important I am, right? Look how strong I am. But our theology of weakness, the recognizing our brokenness, is a landing platform to encounter God. You guys ever see those, those movies where on the top of sky rises, they have those like helicopter landing pads, right? And there's the big H or whatever. Right? That is what our weakness is. It is a place where we encounter the living God. And I want to look at this in the life of Paul. Paul does something ridiculous. Paul boasts in his weaknesses. And in the, the letter to, Corinth, uh, to the church in Corinth, the, the second letter, Paul is addressing uh, what he calls these super apostles, right? And these are apparently these incredibly good speakers, these people who are wandering around Corinth doing all these amazing signs and wonders. And the, apparently they're speaking and their signs and wonders, their power in the gospel is more significant than what Paul is doing. And so the people were criticizing Paul's leadership, his apostleship, saying that it was inferior to theirs because look at their strength. Look at what they were doing. And Paul even admits, you know, compared to them, yeah, I am unskilled in, in speaking. And compared to them, yeah, sometimes my apostolic signs and wonders don't seem to compare. And, and he points out that these super apostles, they're boasting about their strengths and their skills and their giftings and their power, right? This is exactly what any of us would do, right? If they were on Facebook, they'd be taking pictures of the, the blind eyes who'd been healed, right? And the, the lame people who were walking now, they'd be maybe showing short videos of their amazing uh, speech to some big crowd, right? And they, they're doing all this stuff. But Paul does this crazy thing. And I've been reading and thinking about this passage all week and leading up to this series for many months. And I still don't think I understand what Paul is doing. But Paul argues for the authenticity of his leadership by appealing to his weaknesses. By appealing to his brokenness. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 7. Paul says this. Now remember, this is in the context of dealing with these super apostles that are doing all these amazing things. And he says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, 
then I am strong. Right, we've probably, if we've been around the church for a while, we've probably heard that passage. We've probably read it umpteen times, right? And we maybe have thought about it or not thought about it. But when you just sit in it for a minute, it's bonkers. I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. I'm going to delight in my weaknesses. What are you talking about? What is it that we normally do with our weaknesses? We hide them, absolutely. We don't want anybody to see it. When we go in for a, an interview and they say, what are, your, what are your main three weaknesses, right? What we do is we take this as a launching pad to show how strong we are. My, my, I work too hard, right? right? I care too much. It's, it's, a, it's a real struggle, right? But, but, but Paul comes in and is like, hey, I'm a mess. I'm not as good of a speaker, right? My miracles and, and wonders aren't as good as these other things, right? I'm not very pretty to look at. I'm just a mess. And he does this because Paul knows it's not about him. It's not about his strength and his ability to transform Corinth. It's about Jesus, And in the same way, we know that we can't do anything under our own power to transform Cass County. Because we're a mess. You know, we come, we turn up to church, and you guys do a great job, right? You look good, and you're smiling. Things are going well, right? But we know deep down, spoiler alert, all of us are broken, All of us have stuff that keeps us from being as effective as we think we could or we should be. But Paul says, therefore, I am going to boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. I'm going to embrace my weaknesses. Why? So that Christ's power may rest on me. I have a seminary professor. His name is Tim Gombas, and I love this man. And he uh, has this thing, and I don't know if he said it in passing in class one time, but it has stuck with me ever since. He said that resurrection power is always poured out on crosses. Resurrection power is always poured out on crosses. I have a friend, and her son is in prison. He got sentenced to prison for 30 years, and is obviously a very, very difficult situation. And her and her husband have just been so broken by this reality. And she, uh, over the, the holidays, was, she's a, a cashier, and she was just ringing somebody up, and 
And this woman came through her line, and she had all the, the makings for a, a holiday dinner or whatever. And, and so uh, my friend is just making conversation because she's a good cashier. says, oh, it looks like you're getting ready for a, uh, for a holiday dinner. That'll be great. And this lady in, in line kind of responds angrily, I have to have dinner with my son. Obviously, there is some difficulty in the woman and her son's relationship. And, and so my friend is, is ringing her up and then just feels the, the Lord leading her and says, Hey, it's okay. I just feel like I need to, to share something with you. She said, My husband and I are never going to eat dinner with my son again. She told the story that her son was in prison for the next 30 years and that her and her husband would probably have passed on by the time he's free. She encouraged the woman and says, take advantage of what you've got because you don't know how quickly it might be gone. And so this woman goes on and about her day and my friend goes on about her day and a few weeks later, my, my friend gets a tap on, on her shoulder, and a co-worker's like, oh, there's this lady who wants to, wants to talk to you. And it's the lady. She said, do you have a minute? I want you to know that what you said saved my life. After checking out, I sat in my car for a long time just pondering what the situation was with me and my son, and I knew that we needed to work it out. And I want you to know that it's because of what you did that changed the trajectory of my family. And that I just think, when she told me that story, I just felt so touched by it. And I think that it just beautifully reveals how God can take our brokenness. How God can take that thing that we want to be taken care of and forgiven and dealt with and removed from our lives, but God can take that thing and redeem it and restore it. Because resurrection power is poured out on crosses. Paul embraces his weakness and basically says, if God can use me, a broken murderer like me, not a good speaker, not anything to look at, just me, if God can use me, he can use anybody. And the Bible uses this crazy language that we don't like to use, right? We, the, the Bible says Paul was given a thorn in the flesh. Paul was given a messenger of Satan. So we know that this is the, the result of the fall. Right? We live in this broken world, right? and there is trouble all around us. Jesus doesn't pull any punches. He said, in this life, you will have trouble. But it is so normal for us to believe, right? Well, God wants me set free. God wants me healed and whole. 
And, in a, and here's the tension. In a sense, yeah, he does. And we know that that's where we're going. We know that in, uh, when Jesus comes back, when the kingdom is ushered in in all its fullness, there will be no more pain. There will be no more sin. There will be no more crying. Right? But we, we go, oh, what, but we need to be free right now. But Paul says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. And then in your Bible, these words are in red. That indicates that this is Jesus. Jesus says to Paul, no. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So what was this thorn? We don't know exactly. Most people think it was some sort of physical disability that kept him from, you know, whatever, from being, you know, as active as he wanted to be or whatever. Maybe it was uh, a mental or a psychological or a spiritual thing. We don't know, but it was something that was debilitating for Paul. And here's Paul, probably the most influential Christian in the history of Christians, right? And he's like, God, hey, guess what? If you remove this thorn, I could probably e- accomplish even more, right? I got to take, you know, half my time off just to recover from this stupid ulcer or whatever it is. Get rid of it. Then we'll get some work done. Jesus is like, no, you're good. My grace is sufficient for you. And so a theology of weakness recognizes that our pain and our discomfort, our weakness, our sicknesses are to push us towards Jesus so that Christ's power may rest on us. Paul at the beginning here says, this kept me from becoming conceited. Right? And we sit back and we can go, man, man, if God would have removed that thorn, who knows what Paul would have been able to accomplish. Right? Maybe we'd have twice as many books in our New Testament. I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't know. Whatever. Right? But, but Paul, if, imagine if this thorn is removed and all of a sudden Paul is the man in charge. You think you're a super apostle? Check out what I'm doing, right? I'm working harder than everybody else, yada, yada, yada. Here's my resume. I'm the big shot. And all of a sudden, he's he's lost to history just like the rest of these super apostles. But because Paul realizes that I can't do anything unless Jesus, the power of God, dwells in me and empowers me, This is where I need to be. And so he relied on Jesus because he couldn't do it on his own. And because of that, God revealed himself in amazing power. And we're still talking about him today. Our weakness drives us to Jesus and causes us to realize our great need for him and his amazing grace that is poured out on broken and weak people like us. Oh, missed some slides there. Sorry. So, how do we practice this? How do we live out principle number three? 
hey, Mark, it's a real downer of a principle. Thanks. Right? No, it's not that bad. <laughs> right? It's good. It's good. Right? The way that we practice principle number three, living in brokenness and vulnerability, is we take on the posture of the prodigal son. Now, I don't have time to tell the entire story. Many of us are probably familiar with the story of the prodigal son. This young man decides that he wants his father's inheritance right now, and he takes it, and he runs off to a far country uh, and squanders it on women and wild living. And through that process, he loses everything, and he finds himself feeding pigs and eating the, the scraps that, the, that the, the pigs left over. And he realizes, man, the servants in my father's house live so much better than this. And if I go back, maybe I can sell myself back to the father. Maybe I could live as a servant in his house. Right? Then at least I know that I can get some food and I'll have a roof over my head. And so the prodigal son runs back to the father, right? But as the, the story unfolds, the father is not kind of angrily sitting in his office counting what's left of his money. He's not talking to his older son about just the, the problems and the, the stupidness of his younger son. No, the, the father is standing on the hillside waiting for the son to come back. Where is he? And when he sees the younger son in these tattered clothes, no shoes, looking disheveled, the father, to his own shame, hikes up his robe and runs out to the son and throws his arms around him, gives him new shoes, gives him the, the ring of authority, gives him a new robe, invites him back in, not as a slave, but as a son once again. And so if we are to live in brokenness and vulnerability, we need to take this same posture. Recognizing our lack. Recognizing that we don't have it all together. Recognizing that we have made mistake after mistake. And that recognition should not, must not keep us from the Father, but we know that we can run to him in the midst of our brokenness. And when we do, when we encounter the Father, he's not going to reject us or turn us away. But in that place, in the place of our brokenness, in the place of our disheveledness, we will receive mercy. And the last step is that we stay there. We don't, you know, stay kind of humble and receiving mercy for a little bit and then go, man, I guess I am pretty good, right? I do have a lot to offer. I'm pretty sweet, you know, what? The Father was right to bring me back, right? I'm really helping out with the cattle and all this other stuff. And now, all of a sudden, he takes on the posture of the older brother, right? And the older brother had it, was conceited. The older brother thought it was all about him. The older brother was, was selfish. The older brother was unforgiving and felt like, oh, I deserve everything that I'm getting. Right? We cannot stray into that kind of posture. 
but we stay in the posture of the younger brother. Even Paul, who we've talked about so much this morning, right, even he says, right, I, you know, I'm running after maturity, I'm running after Jesus, and I've not arrived yet. I'm not there yet, but I'm still pursuing it, right? We won't arrive until Jesus comes back. So take the posture of the prodigal son. And number two, learn to live in vulnerability with others. We don't have to wear our our church mask. We don't have to pretend like we've got it all together. I'm not saying that we need to air our dirty laundry constantly. You don't need to be this, the ultimate oversharer in order to be uh, emotionally healthy, right? But in, with, within reason, finding people in, in your life that you can share your reality with. Maybe it's somebody who you look up to who is older than you that you can just share your brokenness with them. Share what you're struggling with. Or how powerful is it as a, as a leader to, to, to share with somebody who you're discipling or somebody who looks up to you. It's okay to, to share your brokenness and your weakness. Living lives of vulnerability. So, as we wrap up, I just want to remind us that we're all broken. We all have wounds and limits and weaknesses. Maybe it's a struggle with an addiction. Maybe it's an addiction that forces you, you know, to be vigilant every day, to attend meetings every week. Maybe it's an emotional fragility, a, a, a tendency to be depressed or anxious. Maybe you struggle with severe isolation. Loneliness is a widow or a single person. Maybe you've got scars from the past or a physical disability of some sort. Maybe it's this real temptation to anger or hate or resentment or judgmentalism that you just can't seem to get a handle on. Well, whatever it is, whatever your weakness is, bring that to Jesus and allow him to meet you in that place. Because resurrection power is always poured out on crosses. Jesus, in his place of greatest weakness, hung on a cross, nails through his hand, dead. In his place of greatest weakness, this is where the power of God is seen most clearly. Resurrection power poured out on Jesus. And so don't, don't get me wrong and think that this is like, well, we, we just are weak and we're broken. We can just stay like that. No worries, right? This is, but re- recognizing that when we admit the truth about who we are and where we are and what we're going through, this is the key to beginning to change. And we bring this to Jesus. We stand like the younger brother, We recognize our need, our undeservedness, and we fall at the feet of a loving Father. And it's in that place we receive love and mercy and grace and forgiveness.